0: Hi, I'm Laura, and I'm so grateful for today's conversation with Grammy award-winning Ian Brennan. This is one of those conversations that can change how you view the world for the better. Ian talks about music and activism and how to elevate voices even when it seems like no one is listening.
1: I was uh, obsessed with music for as long as I can remember and um, never really envisioned anything other than doing that uh, for my life. You know, I, I figured I'd be able to do that for a living, you know, as most kids imagine, um, that they would be able to be an astronaut or a fire person or, you know, whatever it might be. And, uh, you know, so I, I basically pursued nothing else to a probably unhealthy degree. And of course, I came to the, the cold hard reality that it's not that easy to to make a living at it. And in fact, um, at this stage of my life, I wouldn't really want to. Um, I'm happy to do it more as a charitable act. So when I came to that realization that I wasn't gonna be able to make money, because my goal was always I was gonna make money and then and then be able to put that towards charity. And when mm-hmm. I realized I wasn't gonna make enough money to even support myself, then it became, well, how can I still you know, use this as a platform or some modest means to uh, to to you know, hopefully contribute something positive and and that began doing benefit shows in San Francisco. I was working in in psychiatric emergency in Oakland for fifteen years to support myself at the same time and and oh. that gradually segued into not producing my own music, producing other people's music, and that eventually led to to uh, producing people. In, in nations that aren't heard from as often um, internationally, obviously they're heard from within their own countries, but oftentimes not beyond. Uh, so uh, you know that 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 it was certainly not a plotted pl- path, but that that's uh, that's where I've ended up, where I am.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah, I um, I saw a quote from you that said. Um, how can it be that tens of thousands of artists from cities like Los Angeles and London are given platforms, but entire countries are left voiceless? Um, So it sounds like you definitely segued into wanting to give a voice to the voiceless. um, And you said it didn't really make you money. Was that discouraging?
1: No, no, I, I, you know, I really, in general, like I said, at this point, probably wouldn't even really want to make money for most projects i mean it would depend um you know i i try to be pretty realistic about it i don't see uh i see the system becoming more closed not more open okay and, uh, you know if an opportunity presented itself I'd, I'd be happy to to make money um but uh in general for these modest projects i want the money to go to the artists and uh it would you know because it has more utility as well um for a lot of these artists a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars is is very 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 significant um making up a month's income or a year's income and um so you know it, it's just uh i think it is indefensible you know how rarely we hear from other nations and it's improved somewhat you know you see some stuff happening with streaming some improvement but a lot of it's a bit of an illusion with um you know kind of unlimited options so the option existing doesn't mean that the option is being exercised and what we know is that 90 percent of the streaming activity goes to one percent of the artists and it's very easy to guess who those artists are Mm -hmm. no fault of theirs, but you know, the, the big commercial artists like Drake and Taylor Swift and, and Ed Sheeran, those kind of folks. Mm -hmm. And then the other aspect of streaming is that, uh, 20% of the songs have, have have only been streamed a hundred times or less. Uh, so, and there's a lot of ghost tracks, tracks that are never streamed at all. So, you know, uh, people are largely competing against volume. And uh, mm-hmm. that's always been the case, but never more so. So the, the, the idea of kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps or, or the cream will rise to the, the top, numerically is becoming harder and harder to sustain that that's even a possibility for most people.
0: Wow, so that's that's gotta be frustrating. I mean, do you see a path out of that in the future?
1: Well, you know, I, I I'm not sure. I I see a centralization. Um, you know, I'm not anti-technology, but I was. I'm from the Bay Area, and I saw a lot of the tech stuff happen from it from its commercialization, not from its inception, not the not the intellectuals and academics, but from when it began to really be commercialized in the late '90s, and I saw how it transformed the. The local community, how it drove me and a lot of other people out, um, you know, of a place that I never lived anywhere else, mm-hmm. and um, and I see, and I've always seen um, the internet as a, a giant copying machine is 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 one aspect of it, um, and also a centralization machine. So a lot of uh, a lot of businesses have been disrupted under kind of the guise of being radical and progressive. Um, but in the end, they simply replace what was there and centralize the profit. And that's that's very scary. And, and, and then we're, we're, we're young enough into all this to see, you know, faces associated with it, um, whether people like these individuals or not. I think increasingly there's been somewhat of a backlash against a lot of these billionaires. But um, nonetheless... My fear is way beyond those individuals. My fear is when you create the perfect, you know, structure uh, for fascism, um, who's okay. going to be in control of that ultimately? Um, where we, When we end up with essentially, you know, one company. And we've moved that way with music, you know, where i remember it being big news i'm old enough to remember in the late 80s when there were suddenly only seven major recording companies and everybody was shocked that there were only seven Mm -hmm. um and and now there's three you know and they control each controls about 25 percent of the music that's heard on earth um and you know then you've got indies that 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 are are helping out with the other approximately one quarter but um i don't i don't know that 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 it will improve. I know that we've reached a certain saturation point where um, not only are the the real platforms for people to, to stand out and be heard uh, lessening. Uh, you know, I mean that it's harder to be to to, to be seen there or heard there. Um, the odds of a band singing in a foreign language from a country that maybe most people have never heard of um, are are less than ever. Um, but also the, the, those slots have not really increased. If anything, they've decreased. You know, as, as the different um, newspapers and, and publications slash their staff, there's actually less coverage. Um, and so again, you see that copying mechanism. I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you, you, know, if you go to the major sites and, and click between them, you don't see much variation you see slight variations on the same stories yeah and you see massive coverage of certain records you know some major sites covering a record seven times um and uh you know so it's it it's it's odd it's it's a little bit unnerving and then the other thing, if you kind of scratch beneath it, if you've been doing this long enough, is you start to see or, or or know in some cases that this is this is the PR machine at work. You know, when when you see a huge artist being covered, okay, that's one thing. But when you see an unknown artist being essentially everywhere on the day of their release and then nowhere ever again, mm-hmm. um, then that's a level of, of power that these machines have now that they they never had before i mean the hard thing for them in the 70s and 80s you know as as music became more commercialized was getting any attention to a new artist but and it's it remains a problem but but now increasingly cuz they control a lot of the distribution and and advertising because of the synergy and deregulation you'll see you know a piece on a new record by a new artist that no one's ever heard of until a couple of months before half the time they've never played a live show in their life um they just kind of come out of nowhere um and uh and then they they come and go sometimes as well
0: yeah that's really fascinating um that's something we talk about a lot at the library um like kind of who's controlling the flow of information in the media yeah. and on social media because we're all about having alternative sources but it's very difficult because you're fighting against something much bigger than a tiny nonprofit library you know
1: yeah 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 it's it's wow. it's, it's, it's 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 certainly in all in all media you know and and uh you know it's nice to you know, romantic ideas are, are very appealing. Um, and I think everybody, almost everyone likes when, when things work the way they should, but but we know that that's the exception. So in many ways, those, those exceptions can be somewhat damaging because they can make people a little complacent. It makes it a little easier to continue to believe in a meritocracy. So, you know, um, I've seen a lot in san francisco and maybe you've seen it in seattle um but i think that uh you know it began i think more with authors you know when you think of like emily dickinson or or that sort of thing um you know it's been around for a little longer but this kind of this carrot at the end of the stick that's extended beyond life you know where people i think posthumously you know so they continue to invest because it's like well you know no one likes my work now but but maybe after i die you know (laughs) i'll be famous in a hundred years and it's like no no probably not um but but you know it keeps people going and in some ways it's not necessarily healthy you know because it's people that in some cases really probably should free up space for others you know meaning their work isn't significant so for me when when you were talking about you know getting into uh producing people from other regions that that was always my criteria um but it's not necessarily the right there is no right or wrong or the best criteria but the most objective criteria i could ever find for food and and for art was, is it something I've not heard of before? Is it something I've not seen before? Is it something I've not tasted before? Then th- that's that's worth a shot. It's worth trying. And then, of course, hopefully being, you know, tough-minded enough or balanced enough to, to not automatically praise that or put it on a pedestal just for its uniqueness. But I think it justifies attention. And uh, what we see so much now is is things that are, are they're not bad. I mean, you, you don't see that much bad material anymore. You used to see some really, really bad stuff back in the 70s and 80s, and and people are, are quite competent now, but their mediocrity is what's dangerous because, again, you're competing against the sheer numbers. So um, for me, it, it's not charity. It's just that if you have a chance with limited time to listen to a record that sounds essentially like literally hundreds of thousands of other records i mean this is not an exaggeration when we talk about three or four chords and a five note scale um and rhyming couplets uh there's there's going to be some repetition there in most cases um if you have the chance to listen to that or to listen to something in a language you don't even know exists because there you know there's thousands of languages in the world from a nation that maybe you've never heard of um, I, th- I think people are better served on 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 multiple levels, not the least of which is neurologically better served to listen to the to give a chance to that other thing. And one of the dangers of streaming now is that you know it rewards uh, not close listening; it rewards very casual listening. And so most of the the music that I found that that is the most You know, nurturing is music that you don't necessarily like that much at first. You've got to listen to it two or three times. You got, you got, you know. I'm not saying it should be painful. Uh, I like music that's not. I like music that's fairly accessible. But, but to think that you're going to listen to it for 15 seconds and make a judgment, a binary judgment on is this good, is this bad? Should I listen to this again? Should I not? Um, That's not how a lot of the best music's been designed. A lot of it is very immersive and very transformative. And you have to listen to it for a while before before you get it, you know? And uh, I think that people are rewarded in those cases for that, for, 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 for that investment of attention. And uh, now we're just so fragmented and distracted by multiple things that all kind of lead to the same point. And I think that's a lot of the danger.
0: Right, that makes sense. Um, But ideally, we'd have more access to um, voices that maybe haven't been heard because they've been affected by poverty or colonization, um, things like that. Um, I saw a really cool article that you wrote about um, a record you made with your sister. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have a brother who, um, has a developmental disability and he loves to sing. And after I read the article, I thought we really need to like appreciate him more and support him more for the music that he makes. Um, but that's another example of like a pretty voiceless group of musicians, right?
1: Well, I think it might be, I I think it might arguably be the most, um, you know, the, the disabled community and obviously the diversity within the disabled community, um, whether it's in cinema where there's still, you know, a big problem with representation or, or whether it's, uh, you know, within music where when you talk about people with intellectual or developmental disabilities, there's, there's essentially zero representation. Um, and, uh, I, I, again, it's not charity. I, I think we're, we are losing out. We, the listeners, are losing out um, by not hearing from these perspectives. And uh, yeah, you, you, you would hope with the sheer number of releases, which it was just a year or so ago that they were talking about 40,000 songs a day being uploaded to Spotify, and the latest figure that's come out repetitively is 62,000 a day, and I'm sure it's climbing and so to think, well, that's, that's a half a million songs a week. and But most people have never listened to people with this diversity, this neurological diversity. And I always saw, you know, I, my relationship with my sister, I, I always saw her not as lacking ability. I always just saw her as having different abilities than other people. And that again, that's not to over-romanticize it. It's just to say that... It's quite normal that, that people people survive, people use what they've got. and uh, so they, they, they put their energy towards other channels that are maybe being largely ignored by, by most people. And, and uh, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of reality to, to ingest and perceive and a lot of it is missed and denied. And I think that screens are a big part of that. you know um, Again, they're not bad. Uh, but everything in balance, but you see people literally, uh, you know, being divorced from the direct experience or separated from it and distanced from it.
0: Yeah, for sure. We're missing out on so much. Like we won't, we don't even know how much. So yeah. Um, yeah. Do you maybe want to talk a little bit about um, your work um, in violence prevention, anger management, conflict resolution, that kind of thing?
1: Well, sure. I mean, I you know I started working when I was a teenager in convalescent facilities for minimum wage, changing diapers on the night shift, and then I I that segued into working in in psychiatric departments. Um, you know, I, I you know barely got out of high school, uh, made it through, and and uh, just started doing that work to support myself, and um, you know. Eventually, at some point, um, you know, because of probably the environment I grew up in, uh, you know, having a sister that was disabled and also having a pretty volatile home, and, home life and, and some people in the family with mental health issues, um, I, I became pretty good, maybe too good at conflict resolution, meaning too good at my own expense. Um, but, but that translated quite well professionally as a young person. Um, it wouldn't so much today uh, because I'm a little bit more balanced now, so I'm I'm probably not as skilled. And in fact, I can say definitively, I'm not as skilled at resolving conflict as I was then. Um, but I'm probably healthier. Uh, but that led to being asked to teach other people, and it was something I didn't really want to do at first, and I kind of resisted. But uh, I began to do it, and I began to see the value in it, and. And uh, it just kind of snowballed. And eventually I reached a point where I was like, well, I can make, you know, more money and have more time to devote to the arts if, if I teach, you know, and stop working in hospitals and making, you know, very little money doing that. And also it was dangerous and, and, and it's tiring, you know, after doing it for long periods of time. And then, you know, I always figured, well, that'll eventually segue into music. But I reached a point where I, I, I realized, well, I don't really ever want to stop teaching even if it's a handful of times a year um, because i think if you're teaching relatively well you're learning as you teach you know it, you're not they're not epiphanies you're not learning something radically new but you're certainly strengthening your knowledge and hopefully also expanding on your knowledge uh with each with, with each with with each experience with each group and so i've been doing it for uh 29 years now and and i I, I've written some books on the topic and, and uh, you know, again, for me, you know, music is social work. Uh, I think when it's done at its best. Uh, and so uh, when you talk about the artists that people really hold close to their hearts, and I think most people have some of those artists, one, two, three um, different people uh, for different individuals, but but a lot of the a lot of the same people come up again and again and again, and, and there's got to be something to that, you know. Uh, so, you know, someone like Nick Drake or someone like Springsteen or or someone like Prince or someone like Nina Simone, John Coltrane, uh, you know, I think there's a reason why people return to those folks so much because um, there is there is an emotional depth there, and I think there is some power. To heal, you know, I mean, they're not going to, they're not going to cure, uh, you know, illnesses that are, that are, you know, terminal, but, but they certainly can, can provide a lot of solace and, and do. I mean, that's the incredible thing is that, you know, the, the, the extent uh, of, of positive impact that, that uh, an artist that's truly speaking honestly from their hearts can have is, is, uh, is really incalculable, you know when you think about somebody like jeff buckley who you know put out one record and and uh you know and wasn't all that successful when he was alive and then passed away tragically and 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 a lot of the people that hear his music now they don't know who he is but it impacts them you know they they hear him sing and particularly his version of hallelujah by leonard cohen and and it's uh it's hard not to be you know anybody that's got relatively open ears? I think if they hear a few seconds of that, they're probably going to wonder what is this? You know, um, but I think the beauty of it of sound is that they don't need to know. You know, they don't need to know even the gender of the person. You know, when when I when we went to um, Tanzania to Ukurayway Island, we you know we're doing a songwriting workshop with people there that have albinism that had never played music before or tried to write songs or, and had actually been actively denied to sing in in, in public. And, uh, and so we were playing some music for them just as ideas like, Hey, music could be this music could be that. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? So music from all over the world. And it was, it was very interesting because, you know, they thought that Bill Monroe was a woman and they thought Nina Simone was a man. And it, wow. it's, you know, and, and they thought that, um, uh what was the group there was there was a group that they you know guessed was from africa that was from asia and there was a group from uh, africa that they guessed was from asia you know um or i mean vice versa so it's it was uh it was very it was very uh you know enlightening you know to to, to the sound to them was just they were responding simply to that. No, no, no hype, no press release, no, no Rolling Stone review. Not just they were listening to it and taking away their impressions of of what they heard.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Um, well, I watched your Grammy acceptance speech, um, and you said something about when we listen to one another, there's empathy, and when there's empathy, hate can't continue. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that idea?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, listening is, is a fairly, can be a fairly abstract term, but I think that, that it can also be quite specific and literal. And and um, when people listen to each other, they learn about each other. And, and in states of empathy, uh, deliberate violence cannot occur. Um, so th- th- this is an important thing is that, you know, some violence occurs accidentally or or impulsively uh obviously you know in in, in a lot of those states as well there there was a lack of empathy or 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 a self-centeredness in that moment but it's virtually impossible to deliberately harm somebody when you're in an active state of empathy uh, and so one of the big things with anger management that comes up a lot is that that anger is secondary and so people focus on it because it's what they see. It's what's on the surface. But in reality, um, what's beneath it is what they're trying to protect. And that's the more primary emotions, the the more universal emotions, the fear, the frustration, and the sadness. So for me, um, I know a couple of things from that. And number one is that threatening people that are threatened doesn't make the situation better usually. Um, they're acting this way because they're threatened in overcompensation, usually. Uh, but beyond that, personally, I try to I try to go to the sadness. I try to skip the anger step, and you know, not not always successfully, but I try to, and just get down to the sadness, which is that really beneath all this, it's just really sad that there's a misunderstanding between two people, um, because. The vast majority of people are not binary. Uh, they're not good or bad. I mean, there's some extreme individuals, but they really are extremely exceptional. You know, one in a million type of individuals. But then there's everybody else, which is, you know, a mixture of good and bad. And and so uh, it, it's sad when people end up in a situation where they're not understanding each other better and, and where there's a result that almost no one benefits from. And with violence, you see... Almost nobody directly benefit, and if if so, not sustainably in most cases. And so it's. Uh, I think that that you know trying to really relate to another individual emotionally is to some degree an antidote to a lot of the bad behaviors that we see.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Um, do you want to say a little bit about um, Sister Maple Syrup Eyes?
1: Well, I mean, I wrote a novella when I was uh, twenty-four years old. um, That that was not autobiographical, but was inspired by an experience I had that was quite um, had a you know a large impact on my life and the life of other people. Um, And so um, I I saw that book through to publication decades and decades later, largely in tribute to uh, Betty Solomon, who was my, my writing teacher when I was young, who was a, you know, Berkeley hardcore, you know, proto-feminist of, of that era and, and really, really believed in the book and, and worked hard on it as well to strengthen it and make it better. Um, but, you know, it's a narrative and it's, it's just, it's, it's impressionistic and, and, uh, you know, the, the ultimate, the ultimate goal of, 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 sharing that story is is that you know violence has secondary tertiary victims it, it reverberates and it, and again it's back to what we were talking about a moment ago which is that it rarely benefits anybody um you know even the perpetrator usually is is harmed by their own action sometimes more than anybody i mean not with rape not with murder not with severe assault but but you know when you think about an adolescent getting angry and then going and punching a wall and breaking their own hand and nobody was even there to witness it. Well, there there's not really anybody directly harmed by that, maybe indirectly, but not directly. And uh, it, it was very self-defeating. And, and, and when, that comes back to the sadness idea that when I've done violence prevention work, a lot of what I've seen in courtrooms that, you know, we have an adversarial legal system, which is not true of everywhere in the world a lot of places have systems that are based more on finding compromise and finding a middle way you know not not that it's going to be 100% somebody else's fault and 0% another's but trying to find some balance in a lot of cases especially a lot of civil cases but what i've seen in in a lot of courtrooms when i look around is i i think well who's benefiting you know from this thing you know two drunk guys 3 years ago got in a fight at 2 a.m. and one of them ended up injured uh, or worse. It's like, who benefited from this? And and that's where the sadness comes in. It's like nobody. You know, we're sitting in, I mean, maybe the lawyers, maybe the judge, I guess, in some way, I, although I think that they're overburdened with the caseload. So it's like, you know, and, and and the people suffering are, you know, well, well, well beyond the the immediate victim, even though obviously nobody can compare the suffering of the victim, the primary victim, uh, to to their experience, but nonetheless it can be devastating to family, it can be devastating to to friends, to neighbors, to to, to you know to to partners, to to parents, to siblings, to witnesses, you know it, it it just goes on and on, even to people that weren't there, that maybe you know work nearby or in the community, depending on the neighborhood and, and the size of the community. I mean, these, these things have, have huge negative impact and obviously it's better for everybody if they're prevented, if they happen less often, they're never going to be prevented entirely. Um, but, uh, if they can be minimized, uh, we'd have a better world.
0: Yeah. I feel like there's not enough conversation around perpetrators and, um, their suffering and what led them to act out in the first place, you know, because we all start innocent and that's really the cause of violence is whatever was going on with the perpetrator.
1: Exactly. I mean, you know, there, there's certain, there's certain things uh, that sometimes I talk about in trainings, you know, the questions to ask of the, uh, of, you know, ask yourself about the other individual when you're trying to generate uh, connection or, or empathy and one of them is is this person operating from unprocessed pain but it, the question is is you know largely rhetorical it's like yes of course they are <laughs> you know like like yeah. yes you don't even really need to ask that question of course they are and 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 right. so and and do we know what that is and does it even matter and 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 you know can we understand it no we can't because different people are affected in different ways i mean trauma is a very very slippery tricky thing the the thing we know about it is that it impacts people you know traumatic events impact individuals and they impact individuals differently so two people can have the same you know experience seemingly um but have very very different reactions to it um and those reactions can change over time i mean i think that's part of Part of the thing about trauma that people forget is that, okay, uh, somebody seems good now. Why do they seem good right now? Be- because they're in shock, you know? So they seem better a lot of times right yeah. away. It- it's counterintuitive, you know? But the rational, the way we try to deal with things, to deal with the irrational processes, if it's rational, is, okay, then if they're this good now, then they'll be that, you know, they'll be even better tomorrow, and then a month from now, much better, and a year from now, healed, and it's like no, 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 no. It, it doesn't work that way at all, and and in fact, it, it the individual who seems like they're doing okay might be the one who's really, really everything's submerged, and it's gonna, it's gonna sneak up on them. You know, uh, it, it's it's really gonna come out of nowhere and, and take them by surprise and, and they may not survive that process you know and, and you see that a lot in families you know where you got the kid who's acting out and everybody's like worried about that one and then you got the other one who's perfect it's like well look out for that perfect one you know look out for them you know right. like as, as they navigate their life Um the one who's acting out it's like yeah worry about them that they make it through their adolescence and into young adulthood but after that I bet you they're going to be alright in most cases Um you know, granted that, you know, they don't have addiction issues or, or larger mental health issues. Uh, but the kid who was perfect, you know, uh they're gonna have to deal with that stuff some someday and, and it, it may be much more painful and difficult to deal with it later, you know, like decades later.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> heal trauma right away, I guess.
1: Well, I think I think don't deny it and yeah. I, I, and acknowledge it and, and you know that you know the whole stiff upper lip thing and and all all these ideas are are uh very very dangerous
0: right okay well um maybe on a slightly lighter note um it sounds like you've been on many adventures very well traveled do you have any like favorite stories of something funny or something that was a great compliment to you anything that you remember like that
1: Well I mean that, that that's a tough one uh, what I what I what I would say is is you know kind of to to address the larger the larger aspects of this is you know the kind of the commonalities is that so for the most part you know we we go places with no intention of a product. We're there for the process with the individuals that that process happens, meaning the music is made and shared. Um, it doesn't have to result in anything and sometimes it doesn't because it would be very it would be very um, hypocritical to to you know turn around and and, and release stuff if, if we didn't believe in it to flood the marketplace with just more volume um, but what I found is that everywhere you go in the world there's music uh, good music right. um, and uh, and and so that that that's that that's really that's been the thing that just consistently um, I'm amazed by you know like 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 that that if you if you listen it's there if you seek it you'll find it and um, and not not in a in a rosy you know rose colored glass kind of way it's not it's not like well i'm going to of course you're going to find music i we find a lot of bad music too really you know music of people that clearly are presentational and and and, and are interested in product you know people who who i think their intentions are clearly to to uh, you know to to be famous or to be praised that sort of thing but um, you know the peacefulness, the generosity of people, and, and and the abundance of of incredible talent, you know, to communicate um, is is out there. I mean, uh, it, it it there's there's some incredibly gifted people. So I I I often talk about Adrian Kazagara from the Good Ones, largely because we worked with them the longest since 2009 from Rwanda. And uh, but he's you know he's a poet. He's an incredibly gifted individual. He's he has that that thing that you encounter rarely, but not so rarely. But that thing where you just know, oh, this person has something that most of us just don't. It doesn't make them better, but they have they have this thing, you know, like this extra extra thing that the sixth sense or whatever it might be artistically. And I've seen that, you know repeatedly with people around the world and and when you encounter it you you know it you just kind of feel it like before they even play a note you just know okay this this person is this person is really uh you know functioning emotionally and and artistically at a level that that's that's somewhat almost supernatural
0: wow Okay, so being able to function on that level, is that kind of the difference between music that's created to be sold as a product and music that's just good from the heart?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I, I believe in the single system. I believe in the system of, you know, a lot of people will say, well, you know, like their objective when they talk about their own nation or when they talk about people from other nations their objective is for them to make money and it's like you know like a living have a career and it's like well i don't know that anybody should really have a career in music you know i i, I like the system better where people participate and and everybody contributes and not not every single person but but most people you know so you, you go back to pre television pre radio and and in most communities the the family member that was exceptional was the one who did not play music you know and now it's the other way around it's the person who does and 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 when they do so many people i mean it's it's you know they can play the beginning of you know stairway to heaven on badly on an acoustic guitar and that passes for being a musician and so what they're talking about is is instrument ownership you know they're not talking about musicality and i i think really musical people are musical away from their instruments it's not something that you flip a switch i mean that's the performative aspect it's like okay now i'm gonna perform and now i'm done it's like these folks are are musical all the time you know the way they eat the way they walk everything you know it's 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 just it's something that their whole life contributes to um and and it's and it's inseparable really from from their existence in that way but that said i think that the singles aspect is that most people if they put a lot of of effort towards music they will transcend and and you hear it you you hear these bands where it's like where did that song come from you know because it's so much (laughs) so much stronger than anything you know they can put out 20 albums and there's this one song that you can put on and most people in the world are gonna start you know nodding their head and tapping their foot or you know whatever it is and and uh they're going to be captured by that um that the power of it and so i think you know yeah at its best that's the goal whether it's for you know whether it's really the intention spiritually like someone like john coltrane just going deeper and deeper and deeper into the music or whether it's somebody who just kind of falls into it by accident or or through crisis and and you know pulls it together for three magical minutes. Um, it doesn't really matter which it is, but but to me that's that's the music that that I love. The music that makes you feel more alive.
0: Yeah. So that kind of music. Um, are you helping? Uh, like, is there any projects right now you're working on that you're excited about, or do you have like a vision for what you want to be doing in the next five or ten years?
1: no i have no vision for the future i mean i find it a miracle to have done it this long and to continue and you know it's very very hard uh to make these records and and uh to get people to release them and to get anybody to support them and so and and to try to get them to be considered as music and not as quote-unquote world music or global music or you know whatever it is and and certainly there's there's a deep appreciation for anyone that supports the music. So, so don't get me wrong. The, the people that specialize in, in in those genres, that's great, that's wonderful. But but you know, it'd be nice, and it is nice when it occasionally happens that you see an artist, um, who who's being considered just as an artist. You know, like like neck and neck with, uh, with others. You know, the good ones yesterday were on NPR, Bob Boylan, um, all songs considered and and I, it didn't strike me at first but it struck me later you know he did 5 songs that episode and one of them is pink floyd's new song <laughs> so you know so there's this picture of yeah. of you know pink floyd without Roger Waters pink floyd at the bottom and then there's a few of the other artists including one of the good ones uh included in this photo montage and i thought well that's cool you know that that that's it you know like like there they are next to pink floyd you know I, you know i I mean it's a new song by Pink Floyd, it's probably not everybody's favorite but but Pink Floyd made some incredible records and, and uh, you know, to see them kind of considered in the same you know, in the same breath as, as as an artist that's so universally known that it's like, yeah, that that would be nice to see more often with people that aren't singing in, in English or Spanish and, and that are maybe from countries that people generally don't hear from as often.
0: Right. Yeah, I feel like at the library, sometimes we're kind of in the same boat of trying to pull people's eyes away from the mainstream and get them to support something alternative. Um, and I think it's it can be discouraging. I mean, but you've done this for so long. You've done such amazing work. Do you have advice for kind of keeping your spirits up?
1: Well, I think I think that, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, hope, but not expectation, is is, i think key you know is that you know and i think from that a lot of gratitude can come to me it's a miracle i you know to be alive and to continue to be alive i don't i don't take that for granted i don't expect to live to a certain life expectancy and and so you know when things go the way you would like them to go or or you think the world should the way the world should work that's good I, i think it's important to not to not overextend ourselves, because what I see in the activist community, you know, having been from the Bay Area, what I see in the music community is when people are focused on product, they burn themselves out, you know, they're, they're too focused on results. And, and, and also they're focused on things being totalistic, like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna end homelessness. It's like, no, you're not, you're not gonna end homelessness, right. but, but hopefully we can improve it, you know, world peace, great, but but there never has been and there never will be. That's not cynical. It's just, it's about proportions. You know, let's yeah. get on the continuum and let's try to reproportion things in a more balanced way. And and so I think the same thing, you know, occurs with, with music. I mean, I, I realized, it took me a long time, but I realized that that. You know, you should try to give people the gift that they want, not the gift that you think they should have. I think that's a really hard. It's been a hard one for me, um, and mm-hmm. a big part of that is related to this. You know, the the great enthusiasm and excitement that I used to present people with with stuff in the past, like just oh, this is the greatest movie, and you know, and then and then they yeah. not only don't like it, they hate it. You know, and it's like okay, well, you know, there's a there's a there's a lot of there's the diversity there and you know maybe later in their life maybe at another time they could come back to it maybe it was a moment in time i don't know but you know i learned that when i was to a large degree when i was 20 years old working with adolescents they had, which was crazy they had me work with adolescents i was only 20 and and, mm-hmm. and so so they gave me the responsibility this is back in the days of going and renting a, a a video and to show to the kids at night and so I took, I took great, you know, like, zeal with this and pleasure. And I went and got The Graduate. I thought it was so great. I'm, you know, it was, I thought I loved that movie at the time. And I thought, okay, this is I'm going to be amazing. And my God, there was there was practically a riot on the psych unit within 15 oh no. minutes, you know, <laughs> they just hated it. You know, it already to them was such an old movie. I mean, at that time, it wasn't Compared to now it wasn't as old, but it was it was pretty old already I mean it was like twenty years old at that time and practically and and yeah I mean it was just it, but that was that was that was a big wake up because like, it it just had never occurred to me that they would that i I figured okay well if they see this they're gonna like it and it's like nope, <laughs> no, they yeah. they're not gonna like it, and they're gonna hate it,
0: yeah, wow, well. <laughs> Okay, speaking of showing people things, I have to ask: Can you tell us what Live Nude Bands was? The game show?
1: Oh well, I don't know. I mean, that's that's such <laughs> ancient history. I don't remember a lot from that that those that era of um, of you know activism and charity events, just trying to trying to come up with ways to get people to come out and to raise some money, modest amounts of money, a thousand or 2000 or 3000 dollars whatever it was for different political causes and events. But that was one that was for a, a few years and it was just that bands would do a tug of war as to who would play when and then the one that lost at the end of the night would play last but was supposed to play nude. I mean, you know, that that was that was the idea some bands did it without losing <laughs> just chose to do it you know select members and and some people didn't do it when 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 it was their turn and that's fine i mean it was just it was a goofy a goofy thing but you know it helped raise some money for 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 different causes at the time
0: yeah i think that's cool i mean you have to be really creative sometimes with your marketing and how you get people to to notice what you're doing you know
1: yeah i mean i my again back to the uniqueness thing for me in that period in San Francisco, I was interested in just trying to prevent as present as much diversity as I could. So as many LGBTQIA plus bands, as many uh, female, you know, fronted or or you know, all female bands as possible. Um, any diversity I could find, and and then just trying to build community through that diversity. Uh, you know, meaning you know most of these bands. Had an audience of twenty or fifty people or a hundred people, so it's like, you know, do an event with six, seven, eight bands, and then hopefully have a big night for everybody, and 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 do it for the right reason for a cause of some sort. And uh, you know, some of those so some of those events were were quite beautiful. You know, so, some of them you know were, went quite well. Um, and I, you know, what 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 can you do? And it's only gotten harder, you know, to get people's attention to. Especially when it involves getting out of their house and going somewhere and being there and and spending time there and listening to things that are, you know, maybe not what they came to see, you know. Um, Yeah. You know, people, I think, used to be excited. Uh, When I was a kid, they used to have three-band Bills a lot at at the arena shows, and Bill Graham would put those on, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I think a lot of the excitement was that the young punks, you know that i grew up with you know like to throw things at the people they didn't like you know whatever like they either were going to like it or not like it probably but but you know they were invested in most people in hearing not just the band they came to see um you know and and they wanted to be you know they wanted to be able to say you know i was went to the show and and, uh, you know, Queen opened up, you know, like yeah. and there were only 50 people there in the place and the whole stand th- you know, the, those stories. And and I think a lot of that's gone now. You know, people are so scheduled that they, you know, they, they, they don't want to invest a, a minute to chance.
0: Right. Well, um, before I let you go. It sounds like, you know, you've seen music become very, like, political and very challenging. Um, But do you have any advice for aspiring musicians?
1: Well, I think, you know, play with people you love, that you like, and and play music uh, for the sheer joy of it. And, uh, you know, the rest will kind of take care of itself or it won't. Um, And odds are it won't i mean if people are looking for a career i mean that's that's highly unlikely but if but if people are genuinely playing music with their heart um it has value and uh you know recording is beautiful because you know you you have this artifact that can live beyond the the other individual's life and 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 the the dead can speak to the living in the future and that's quite an incredible thing but but it also fixes something in place, and I think that um, you know we've come to such an extreme now with people playing to pre-recorded tracks or or you know singing along to their own voice, um, and it's so different than than uh, you know the improvisational nature of jazz and and other groups, but even just the, the variation that is the whole folk tradition, which is air and transmission, you know, is that 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 a song. Is not played the same way twice. And the whole idea of an encore originally was not to play the song, uh, you know, not to play a different song, but to come back out, play the same song, but play it differently and better than you just played it. I mean, so you see these, these encores, you know, from long ago where, you know, that was, they, they weren't asking for a different song. They're asking, come back out and do it even better and differently and see if you can top yourself and uh i think that 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 variation is largely lost now you know where the lighting cues uh are dictating the performance you know the video cues the the pyrotechnics you know i mean people could literally die if they're not standing in the right place on stage and it's kind of the antithesis to uh to freedom
0: yeah that's a really beautiful idea though the encore really really appreciate this this has been very eye opening and i think this is stuff that people never think about but it's affecting them you know
1: yeah i think that all of us there 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 are these forces at play that we often are not conscious of but that doesn't mean that they're they're not impacting us and it was nice to speak with you and thanks to anybody who listened
0: and there you have it ian brennan